Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. This week we're in Empires Volume 4, which is a study through the book of Romans. Enjoy the message. Sometimes in life, you just kind of need the Holy Spirit to tug upon your heart. Um, And one of my mentors always told me this. And what he told me, he put his arm around me, he'd be like, Brandon, and I'd be like, hello. He'd be like, you know, Brandon, sometimes the voice of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be your wife. And so even if you don't even have a wife, I hope that you can relate to this. But there is a moment where my wife in my life, oh, that rhyme, bars. Um, my wife ended up being very similar to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so before I even tell you that story, have you in your own life ever found yourself doing something that you shouldn't have been doing? Have you ever found yourself, you know, possibly being angry for no logical reason, you know, it's one of those moments to where the emotional side of your brain and the logical side of your brain are just not computing, and then you end up just being a straight-up jerk to somebody for no reason, and you can't describe why, but you just are, or um, maybe you lied, you didn't want to, but then, you know, somebody went and asked you a question, then you made yourself sound ten times cooler than you really are, and you ended up lying, maybe you've done that in your life, or maybe um, you've possibly cheated on your homework before, or schoolwork, maybe you had a paper of sorts and you went to ChatGPT and then ChatGPT ended up writing out the entire book um, paper for you and then you're like, why did I fail? How did they figure that out? I don't know. Um, maybe you've done that before because I know, I'm going to admit something, I've done that before, sadly. I che- I'm going to tell you guys about a time that I cheated on my schoolwork. Um, if you know anything about me, If you've ever had me try to do a math problem, unless it's two plus two, I'm not going to be able to do it. When anything math hits my brain, brandon.exe, it stops working completely, and I just straight up end. And, you know, if it's in the topic of mathematics, I fail. Not good at it. And one thing about me is that I technically never fully, I guess you could say, passed algebra in high school. Um, the, I went through remediation so many times that the state of Indiana, essentially, that's where I'm from if you didn't know this, land of corn, the state of Indiana sent me a waiver for algebra and basically said, we've done everything we can for you. And so, you know, you are beyond our hands, you can graduate. And so if you're in here and you're like, I hate algebra. I'm here to tell you, you do not need algebra to graduate. I'm just kidding. Do not use that as the reason you don't do algebra. Um, but I somehow was able to avoid it, I guess. Um, finding out what, the, what X has to do with anything doesn't help me. It doesn't. And then so in 2017, I began going to a ministry college. And um, little did I know that even to become a pastor, I had to do this thing in college known as Gen Eds. And included with the Gen Eds was algebra. And I was very not happy about that. You know, I'm thinking, okay, if, what does algebra have to do with ministry? I mean, I'm trying to figure out the history of Christianity, get theological studies, ministerial leadership. I mean, what does having to find out X to do with, insert thing here, do with anything? And I, I mean, I graduated in 2021 with a bachelor's in ministerial leadership. So I somehow made it past it. And I'm going to tell you how I made it past it. Um, There was a website where I was essentially able to take any of these crazy um, algebraic equations that I didn't understand because I didn't pass it in high school. 
and I was able to just put in the equation, and it solved it for me. And I was so happy because I was like, man, the thing I was worried, I'm not worried about any ministerial, um, you know, project. This is the thing that's going to make me out of ministry. And since I, they say algebra is needed to be like an astronaut or something, well, I'm not being an astronaut, so let me skip this. And I was doing it, I was skipping, I was getting good old grades, and I was very happy with myself. Um, and then, this is where the voice of the Holy Spirit through my wife came through. Um, this is before we were even married, but she was a manager for me at Vallejo's. Vallejo's pizza is very delicious and yummy. Um, her and I were working a morning shift one morning, and we were over doing the dishes in a particular area, and then she heard about me cheating in my algebra. It's like, Brandon, aren't you in a ministry college? And I was like, yeah. She said, then she looked at me very deeply in the eyes, very deeply. She was like, Brandon, I don't think you should be doing that. And then when she said that, even though I knew it was wrong, right? I knew that me, I'm literally doing something to become a minister, but I was being dishonest and I was cheating. And I wrote a, even if you can try to make some sort of linguistic way to get about making cheating right, um, I, I wrote a um, covenant saying, I'm not going to cheat, and there I was cheating. So there's dishonesty right there. Um, and so with her, my wife going to me and saying that, it hit differently. And I, I truly feel in that moment that was the Holy Spirit speaking through her to me. Um, and I knew in my heart that I shouldn't be doing it. But guess what? I was doing it anyways because me being able to skip algebra, essentially, um, made me comfortable. It made me not have to get uncomfortable. It made me not need to spend the possible hours I needed to spend an extra studying to figure out how X became, insert thing here. I barely even remember it at this point. Oh, it's not even good. Um, but she ended up doing that, and she really helped to um, help me to see through that. And we all in this world, each and every single one of us who's in this room, we all have a thing that we end up doing that we know we shouldn't be doing, but we do it anyways, right? We all struggle each and every single If you try to tell me that you don't struggle with any form of temptation and sin, I'm going to look you in the eyes and just call you a liar. And it's not an easy thing to overcome. But this morning, what if I told you that there was hope? What if I told you that there is a way to have power over temptation? Not just a measly, flimsy, but actual power over temptation. What if I told you that? What would that change, you, change about you and how you're going about your everyday life? Today we're going to be exploring a passage in Romans chapter 7 where the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, um, he shares his struggle with sin. And I'm going to be going in how we can learn from it to have victory over our struggles. So let's dive in. We're going to be going into verses uh, 13 through 15 for uh, chapter 7 of Romans. Like I said, we're going to be going a little bit backwards. Um, but one thing about me, and I've said this a million times already, but we can't just expect to go into an area of Scripture and be like, all right, I know what it says. Woohoo. Um, you need to have context when you're reading the Bible. If you just go into one verse at a time, then you're going to start taking things to make it fit either a narrative that you grew up with or a narrative that you possibly tell yourself. We need to read the Bible in context. And so um, to get, before we get to verses 13 through 15, we're going to start over at verse 7. 
um, and because context really matters. So Romans chapter 7, verse 7. The Apostle Paul says this. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetedness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. This is the Mosaic Old Testament law. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin sees an opportunity, oh, I messed up, sorry. For sin sees an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So there's the context. He's talking originally about the law. Did that which is good then bring death to me? No, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that the sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment, might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Some of you have possibly read this scripture uh, before, and every single time I read it, the thing that immediately catches my eyes and gets me is verse 15 where it says but I do the very thing I hate how many of you have fallen into possibly a sexual sin before how many of you fallen into an addiction before or doing something that you know you you shouldn't be doing but you're doing it anyways you hate it with this particular thing there's a part of you that doesn't want to do this particular sin But at the same time, you love it and you want to do it. It's like there's two completely different sides battling at one another. There's the fleshly side who's just like, man, let me go into this. And then the other side, which is the, I guess you could say, the the side with the Holy Spirit, the Christ-following side, which there's a disdain and hatred towards this sin. You love it and you hate it all at the exact same time. Isn't that a description of what sin is in our lives? We know as Christ followers that things are wrong. There's a disdain for it. Yet you might continually fall back into it. And I want you, each of you in here to know, no matter where you are in your faith walk, I just want to remind you that in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every single one of us in here have sinned and are going to sin. We We don't want to sit there and justify our sin. We go through a process known as sanctification. I talked about this last time I was up here. We go through a process, which is a lifelong process of sanctification, of walking in the light as a Christ follower. It's a lifelong process. Um, And so you're always going to have times, but you don't want to sit there justifying it. There's always going to have times where you fall back into sin, but you don't want to justify it. But nonetheless, we have all sinned, right? We're not perfect. Um, And so don't ever sit there and be like, man, I raised my hand one time. I walked into a church. I raised my hand. And yet... I fell back into this thing again. Never let Satan sit there and take your brain and straight up beat you up 
for falling back into a sin. Because that's what he wants you to do. Because then you're just going to be like, all right, you know, might as well keep doing it because there's no hope for me. That's exactly the lie that Satan wants you to fall into. Um, so, church, please don't be falling into that lie. Um, but some people can read scriptures, such as we just read, in chapter 7, verses 13 through 15, to justify their sin. They, like, you, you see the Apostle Paul, he, he's literally saying, you know, he, he's doing some of the things that he knows that he shouldn't be doing. I mean, he was so trapped, obviously, so there's no hope for me. I mean, we're talking about an apostle, and he's doing things he shouldn't do. You're looking at me in 2023, that rhymed again, I'm bars today. Um, I, I, he, you might be just, man, there's no hope for me. But guess what? Church, that's false. If you step right back just one chapter beforehand, um, into Romans 6, we see the Apostle Paul describe us as Christ followers, each and every single one of us who have given our life to Christ before, as dead to sin. Whatever that temptation is, we're dead to sin and alive in Christ. In Romans 6, verses 12 through 14, it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Church, we are under grace. And we don't have to sit there and give in to the sin. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey it's passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. You have been brought from death to life. Whatever that sin is, you don't have to sit there and just bow to it. You don't. Um, I, I many times when I'm up here, I've talked about the sin of choice, that each of us have a particular sin of choice that Satan might take it, like dangle it in front of you, like bait, as I've said. And I've, I keep saying that, so I'm like, you know what? Let's illustrate this idea. So I'm going to have my good friend, he's the owner, of, no, he's not the owner of Chick-fil-A, but I'm going to have my friend Robbie come up here, and I'm going to illustrate this idea. You see, for me, um, Reese's peanut butter cups, they hit me. Like, uh, when I see them, if I'm trying to, you know, possibly watch what I eat a little bit, um, it's, it, it tempts me a lot. And what Satan does is he's going to find in your own life, yes, this is cheesy, I know. He's going to find whatever that sin in your own life is, and he's going to take it, and he's going to straight up dangle it in front of your face. It's going to be right there. And I could sit there, and I could want it, sir, but am I legally required to grab, just because it's right in front of me, whatever in your own life, you insert the blank for you, whatever it is, do I have to grab it? No. I don't. There's an intentional choice, an intentional choice that I have to make to grab whatever that sin is. Or maybe, you know, let's say at some point in life, that sin of choice is no longer Reese's peanut butter cups, but it becomes, or peanut butter cups. I mean, it's a peanut butter. I was thinking of the series. I was thinking of peanut butter puffs. Um, or whatever, Reese's Puffs, that's it, Reese's Puffs, Reese's Puffs. Um, so maybe it switches out for Kit Kat, 
I've had, many people have talked about if you have an addiction, that once you take out one thing, that then your brain or something else will try to insert it with another thing. And so, maybe it no longer becomes Reese's, but it becomes Tic Tacs. Or Kit Kats. I can't talk today. I mean, if, you, if you're weak for Tic Tacs, I mean, all right. But if you have very fresh breath, that's wonderful. Um, what I want to say about this is that you have been brought from death to life. And you are not powerless against your temptations. The moment it's dangling in front of you, you don't have to be like, oh, and then just take it and run it. You don't need to do that. You have power against it. There's an intentional choice, and I cannot emphasize this enough. There's an intentional choice you make when you give in to a sin. There's an intentional choice. Um, are there times that we're going to fall into it and do it? Yes. But at the same time, remember, you are making a choice to do whatever that sin is. Everybody give Robbie a round of applause for dangling that sin right in front of me. Thank you. You are not powerless, church, against your temptations. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. Church, isn't it amazing that God provides us a way out of temptation? When he's sitting there dangling that sin, not when God's on, when Satan's sitting there dangling that sin right in front of your face, isn't it amazing that God, the creator of the universe we're talking about here, loves you so much that he provides a way out, that he just doesn't leave you to your own power and expects you to do it, but he gives you a way out of it? This verse also if we can bring that back up, it's also something important. The temptation in itself has been a thing for all of human history. The Bible is filled with examples of people both fighting temptation, and that could be looked at as with Job and Jesus, they fought temptation, and then people also giving in to temptation, such as David and Bathsheba. And the core roots of temptation in itself throughout history, have been the same, essentially. The same thing that's been common to mankind. Um, whether it's pride, whether it is sex, drugs, money, or anything that entices the human flesh within, whatever it is, it is the same. Sir, throughout history, how it looked in 1801, the form is different, but the root itself is the same. Satan will just adapt his tactics, but he just repeats the exact same thing, church. So temptation has been the same throughout all of human history. And God has given you a way out. You don't need to be powerless against your temptations. You might be saying, okay, Pastor Brandon, you're sitting there telling me that I'm not powerless and that God's provided me a way out and praise God that he has provided us a way out. But you might be saying, so I don't have, I'm not legally required to fall into these things. okay cool. But how do I wield this power? How do I not give in to whatever that temptation is? Because you can be a person who owns a lightsaber. Let's say you're in the Star Wars world. Star Wars world. Let's say you are. 
But if you don't know how to wield it, your, your lightsaber, a mere Padawan will defeat you. A youngling would defeat you. So you need to know how to wield this power. And so what I'm going to do for you guys today is, and if you're taking notes, this is going to be an awesome thing. I'm going to give you three practical steps of how to fight temptation. Instead of just having it be a head knowledge of knowing you don't have to give into it, I'm going to give you things that you can apply so you can fight against it. So you can then begin to walk in this thing called sanctification as a Christ follower. So, how does one fight temptation? How do they do it? Instead of this being this fancy-sounding idea, how do I do it? The first thing I'm going to say is, number one, rely upon the Holy Spirit. And this might sound like Christian lingo for a second, but just give me a second, okay? Um, give in to the fact that you're a new creation with the Holy Spirit residing within you. So many people, and like, before I even go to that, when you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit is indwelling within you. Guess what? That power that I'm talking about, it's not the power that you have. It's the power of the Holy Spirit to go against those things. And so many people don't get, honestly, I, I, so many people don't truly rely upon the Holy Spirit when temptation hits them. When that dangling starts happening in front of their face, instead of going saying, Holy Spirit, help me, give me strength to say no to this thing, having a conversation with God in that moment, instead of giving in to that power that God has given you through the Holy Spirit, they just let this idea that the Holy Spirit's a head knowledge stay there, and they then, and they grab whatever the temptation is. But church, you have power within you known as the Holy Spirit. You have access to something that so much of the world, it's like, man, you, you can have all this great motivational speaking and everything. You can think, oh, you have grit. Any grit, any whatever, you insert the name, is nothing in comparison to the power of the Holy Spirit residing within you. So church, rely upon the Holy Spirit. What does this look like, though? You, like, you might not know an application what this looks like. Imagine that you are going to, let's say, Devil's Lake, Raise your hand or online. Let me know if you've been to Devil's Lake before. It's kind of near Wisconsin Dells. Um, it's very hikey, mountainous type hills. Um, it's a very interesting, nice place to go hiking, and I enjoy it. Um, but if you're at Devil's Lake and you have a backpack and you're trying to go up there, you, maybe you have a friend with you, you have a backpack, you have your Kool-Aid, Jammers, Zero Sugar, Jammed in there, you have all your Nature Valley bars, maybe a bunch of water bottles because you are need hydration. Your backpack, when you're going up those hills, it can be very, very heavy. Like you're, you're panting. You are dripping in sweat when you're going up those hills, and it can be really hard to make it up there. And then your friend, who only has one Kool-Aid juice jammer in their backpack, they don't have to be carrying as much. And then so you end up going to your friend. You're like, hey, dude, I'm struggling to make it up this hill. Can you carry some of the stuff in my bag for me? Or can you carry my bag for me? At least just for a little bit to help me. You give it to your friend. Your friend puts it over his shoulders. And, he begin, and you begin, once again, walking up the hill. The difference between the, origi the original time walking up the hill is that you 
aren't struggling as much. That you, sir, is it still a cardiovascular thing that you're doing? Yeah, you, you know, your heart rate's still up, but it's nowhere near as hard as it was originally. And church, that's what it looks like to rely upon the Holy Spirit. When you give in to the power of the Holy Spirit, when you rely on God, things that normally wouldn't have been hard or wouldn't, would be hard to a certain extent, it becomes easier. It becomes much easier to breathe in those moments. So number one, rely upon the Holy Spirit. The next time temptation smacks you in the face, talk to God about it. Vocalize it to him. Because he loves about you and he cares about you. And he doesn't want you to try to go against temptation within your own power. Because that's our own power is fleeting. Can I get an amen on that? It is nothing. So how to fight temptation, point number one, rely upon the Holy Spirit. Rely upon the Holy Spirit. So many Christians are just Christians and head knowledge name only instead of giving into the power that is within them. The second tip, or how to fight temptation, is replace old habits with new ones. This is a really practical tip, but the question is, are you actually implementing it? If you have a thing that you know when you get home, the moment, let's say, you work your good old 9 to 5, you get home, you're, at, you're home by 5.30, and you eat your dinner, let's say you throw your Totino's pizza rolls into the microwave, plop it, eat your dinner, but then when you come out of there, you know between the hours of 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. is when temptation hits you like a truck. You, you've built a habit of giving into this temptation, whatever it is, whether it's a mindset, whether it's an accent, you insert the blank. You built a habit of giving into it during that time frame. And so instead of having a habit of giving into that temptation, get a new habit. If you know you're weak, hang out with friends during that time. If you, know, if you know that you're going to give in during that time, go to the gym. Maybe, I'm not gonna, I can't believe I'm saying this, but maybe get into politics or something. Something else to take your, take your headspace away from whatever that temptation is. So we're, we are relying upon God, but then also finding new habits to implement. And also, because politics might honestly be the best thing, because that can be pretty toxic. Um, give in to like become a I don't know a theologian just fill it with a new hobby fill it with something else it doesn't have to be whatever Satan's dangling in front of your face so whatever that thing is in your life build new habits you may have heard people say before that um it takes 30 days to build a habit right um that it takes that amount of time for it to become fully implemented you probably heard that in your life before um I'm gonna Throw that away and step on it. Um, recent studies have came out that for a thing to become truly a new habit, it takes between 18 days, which isn't bad, right? And 254 days to build a new habit. This same research indicates that it takes an average of 66 days for a habit to become truly automatic. And so you know whatever your temptation is, rely upon God, yes. But then also, as you're implementing new habits, recognize that it is, it is going to take some time for it to become automatic. Is it going to be easy? No. But you, but you need to have a mindset of, you know what? 
I'm not going to be comfortable for this period of time. But the end result is going to be so much better when I've made it past whatever this thing is. So build habits, church. Let's become habitual people who become habits that, with habitual people of healthy habits. We don't want to just be habitual for no reason, right? Um, but build new habits. And the last one that I want to talk about, and this is one where, especially if you've gone to one of those, you know, sexual sin seminars or something, um, you've heard this tip before. And my question to you once again is, are you actually implementing this? And because people can have it as head knowledge, but actually doing it, completely different thing. This next one is get accountability. What is your sin of choice that you keep falling into? Find people who you can rely upon. People who have possibly gone through this struggle in a similar way. And they can be somebody you can text in the moments when you're about to fall. Having a full, open, honesty, no mask relationship. See, what happens many times when people here get accountability, they're going to do the check mark. They're going to check mark. All right, see, I have accountability. I texted them one time when I was about to fall, but then, you know, that text thread, it just fell off. Find somebody who you can be consistent with. Consistency matters when it comes to accountability. Maybe it can be somebody who struggles with the same thing as you, but you need to make sure it's something to where it's somebody who you can be 100% honest with. Because I, I'm going to be real, there's certain things that you can struggle with that it, you can God free you out of his own power? Oh, most definitely. But sometimes God wants us just to swallow our own pride and talk to somebody who's been through the arena before and to rely upon some of their strength and to sometimes let them carry some of the backpack alongside of us. And so church, whatever your temptation is, do you have somebody that you can talk about it with? Or is it just locked away? Is it just a private thing? You might be worried that somebody is going to think of you wrongly. Maybe you've been really good at putting on the church mask of just do it, saying all the good Christian lingo when you come into church. But behind closed doors are struggling big time. I want you to know that it's so petty and a waste of time. It's such a waste of time for us, for number one, for us to be walking into church wearing a mask. The American church is really bad at that. But also recognize that there are many times when you think, oh, they're going to hate me so much. They're going to think I'm such a heathenistic sinner, so unholy. Oh, whatever it is, majority of the time, it, those are narratives that we create in our head that aren't the reality. Many times what ends up happening is when we give this thing that we've been struggling with to somebody, we, we can be amazed because they can end up reflecting the same grace that we hear about from God in the scriptures. And God's designed it that way. And so, whether you're viewing online or in person, who is your accountability partner? Who can you talk to when temptation hits you? Always ask yourself, where are my habits and am I relying upon the Holy Spirit? But you need people to talk to. You really, really do. You really do. My last point this morning, I'm going to take a quick drink of H2O because water is good and we need hydration. 
is when you fall, when you fall into that thing that Satan dangles in front of you, realize that you can be forgiven. God's a forgiving God. I always describe his forgiveness as unlogical because we can try to put our human dictionary, our human definitions upon things, but God's forgiveness, it, has, it, it doesn't make sense. We can keep falling into whatever that temptation is, not to justify it. I, hope, I never hope you're getting that vibe. But guess what? God can forgive you. He wants you to vocalize it to him, swallow your own pride, to actually walk in that repentance to turn from whatever that thing is. But you've never done something in your life that God can't forgive you for. You might think that you're, man, I, I, I gave my life to God however so many years ago, and I kept falling into this thing. I'm so dirty. Well, guess what? With Jesus, you are made clean and you are made new. You can be forgiven. What Satan wants is you can hear, and there is a very healthy conviction that can come from passages such as what we read in Romans 7 today. But what Satan wants is for you to take that healthy, Holy Spirit-led conviction and to take it to you spending hours in your room beating yourself up for not being the holy Christian. Do not fall into that lie, church. Give your thing that you struggle to God. Ask God to forgive you. And he is just and will forgive you. Some of you in this room need to just vocalize that to God. God already knows the thing you struggle with, but you just need to go through the period of time of putting away your human pride and saying, Lord, Heavenly Father, God, I'm sorry. Can you please forgive me? Some of you need to be doing that. But then there's others of you in this room who you've not even once before ever asked God to forgive you before. That's a weird idea. Or you've never even declared Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've heard this whole John 3.16 thing before, but you don't truly have an idea of what it is. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ really did die on the cross and raise in three days. And I want you to know that whatever proof thing that you feel like you need to have. I had my own period of life where I was an atheist and I didn't believe in God. But all the proof, all the science, all the history of religion, everything, guess what? Ended up lining up so logically to God that I had no choice but to believe in him. And so if you're in here and you're struggling for some sort of random scientific reasoning, I would love to have a conversation with you. But I also want you to know there's not an excuse to not give your life to Christ. He loves you. And biblically speaking, the only way that you can make it to heaven is by believing that Jesus Christ rose from the grave and died for your sins. It's not about however so holy you are. It's, about how, it's not about how many times you don't fall into temptation being the thing that makes you go to heaven. What it's about is the fact that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, that he was the sacrificial lamb of perfection, had nail-pierced hands, underwent complete suffering for you and I, just so you and I could make it to heaven. All through his perfection, nothing to do with us. You don't make it to heaven through your own good works.
You might see, like, and that can be a hard thing to understand because you can look at religions all across the world. And, like, for example, Buddhism is like you got to do the eightfold path, which is these things of falling to different mindsets or Islam to where you got to do all these particular things. Well, guess what? The truth lines with God, and God says, all you need is the sacrifice of my son. Any of the good things, quote unquote, Jesus did that. And guess what? You might be thinking that doesn't make sense. God brings unlogical forgiveness. It is unlogical. And Jesus lived a perfect life and lived a life way better than any of us could even attempt to. So I'm going to close us out in prayer, and then we're going to go into a time of worship. And so can I just have everybody bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to ask you guys a few questions, and there's nothing magical about raising your hands. There isn't. But it can be a really powerful form of self-reflection and commitment. So I'm going to ask you just a few questions. And if it describes you with nobody looking around, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. My first question is this. If you're in this room and you've been falling, there are some temptations in your life. You've been doing the thing that you don't want to do, but you want to do it at the same time. If that describes you in this place this morning and you want to ask God to give you a new strength to go against those temptations, but also just to help you truly repent and walk away from those things, if that's you in this room this morning with nobody looking around, you just want to ask God for his help, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in three, two, one hands all over the room. And next, if you're in this room and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior before, as I said, Jesus died for your sins. If somebody went to you and asked you, hey, are you going to go to heaven or hell? And you don't know how you would answer it, today can be the time you can say objectively, 100% sir, I know I'm going to heaven. If you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ this morning, believe that he did what he did. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in three, two, one. So Lord God, for those who rose their hand, you got to pray that right now, they begin internally or even out loud if they feel led. God, declaring to you that they believe in you. Telling you that, Lord God, I, I recognize that I am a fallen sinner. God, that they describe the fact that they now know that you're the only way to make it to heaven and they believe in you and they accept you and thank you for what your son did on the cross. God, I pray that they commit themselves to you in this moment right now. God, that they commit to you. And God, I also just want to pray for the people in this room who've been giving in to whatever that Reese's peanut butter cup or whatever that sin dangling right in front of them has been. God, I pray 
that this is a moment that they're gonna be able to look back upon saying that was the day that I changed. This thing that I struggled with for years, I was able to lay it at your throne. God, I pray that right now that there is freedom happening in this room. God, that there are chains being fallen from people who've possibly been carrying around certain sins with them for years. God, I pray that you give them a brand new strength to walk in that power that you have given them and to walk in your forgiveness. Lord God, we thank you and praise you so much for your forgiveness. Heavenly Father God, we praise you so much in this place. And God, I ask that as we get ready to walk out of this place this morning, that we walk in your light. And just as I said last time, that we wear our Jesus jersey for you, God. Help us, Lord. In your glorious name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.